Hey guys, altcoin author. Thanks for checking out my crypto podcast. So let's jump right in. How's it going, guys? I figured that just because the markets are the way they are and people are asking me about what overall trends and macro developments I should be looking for, definitely we'll talk about the blockchain technology, but I also think it's important to address some of the macro trends and how things are going there from a crypto vantage point, from a blockchain vantage point, from someone that is in the space that looks to revolutionize the way that a lot of these industries are done, specific to service industry stuff like accounting and law and different industries that are high paying and then have inefficiencies that can be exploited for the benefit of, I would say, mostly small businesses. You're seeing another down market today. I mentioned on the last episode that for over a month, there was not a single two-day pair where the market finished up. That just goes to show that, yeah, we've hit 1987 levels or before. The volatility is really off the chain. History tells us that in the 20s, when that stock market crash happened, it was really accelerated because margin was easy to come by. And now with margin on futures exchanges and then also on contract for difference, platforms, you can really get humongous margin on the S&P on various indexes. And there are traders that try to get in when there's a huge dip on a lot of the platforms, mostly crypto platforms, they have like bankruptcy provisions. So they designate and split a certain amount of revenue that they get for the trades in anticipation that because some of these trades can go in at 101 or even 125x I've seen for crypto and for offshore Forex, it can be up to 3,000x that if there's a huge movement, they're going to get closed out. But a lot of these platforms guarantee that it's not like a margin trade where if it just dumps, then you can get sued or come after. On these, you can actually subdivide and get independent accounts within a single account. So If one account goes bust, then the other ones will be fine. And what a lot of people do is they'll go long in one and they'll go short in another with the hopes that when there's a huge move in, one will get closed out and that the other will do okay. So really, the absorption of the loss is being felt by the exchange. And historically, a lot of the at least crypto exchanges and these offshore exchanges that don't fall under the purview of the CFTC or different, you know, SEC regulations for holding these securities will um, do a haircut to everyone. So they'll take like a percentage of the total assets that are on there. So like everyone feels the pain. Obviously, you'd feel it the most if you have the most in there. But the idea is kind of the community shares in it. But with this bankruptcy provision, it's not as traumatic for people to pay just a little bit, you know, a little percentage more on each trade. And it adds up as opposed to seeing that yeah, you've spent months and months making gains and you know, you're know you 30% up, but you have to take a 30% hair loss. So after putting dozens and dozens of hours of trying to time the market or trying to identify these macro trends and doing well to be at the, same, the right place at the right time, you're actually back where you started from. So that's frustrating and leads people to get angry and then treat the management of the firm not very well and also encourage people not to use that particular platform. The market books for crypto as it is are very thin. And you see that when there's a big movement, even ones that have a lot of collateral coverage 
will get the order books dried up. So you see people during these huge swings buying Ethereum for five bucks when (laughs) the true value is many hundreds. And that's a factor of people putting in market orders and stacking the market books so that if someone mistakenly puts in a market order thinking that was a limit order, then it'll get filled at their buy price so they immediately can recognize a gain on, yeah, buying it for five and then selling it for 200. So there's a lot of depth issues they have to consider when you're going into a crypto platform and you're doing some trading. Of course, check with your local jurisdictions and check with the laws pertaining to what you can invest in. If you are doing it through a proxy or a partner or an organization that will manage on your behalf for your trust or for a different formation that you have for crypto, then yeah, make sure you're in compliance there because there are tax ramifications of various trades. And I know that in Wyoming that they have new laws that protect you getting from Bitcoin to Ethereum and having it be a taxable sale if it's done you know, during the course of the year. And, you know, it's that um, they have ways to not make those taxable events, but each state's really figuring it out. And the IRS is just kind of going with what people give them. And it's well known that there are blockchain sleuths that will audit um, with the help of Coinbase and with a lot of the bigger partners that partner with government agencies that want to keep their bit license or keep their regulations in order because they're publicly traded or they're doing business with Americans and they're um, handing over the tax data to the IRS. It's already been widely reported on Cointelegraph that, yeah, all the biggest uh, U.S. exchanges, at least, do provide information about a blockchain address with the social security number, the name of a particular person. So the IRS can know that, oh, this person didn't actually claim any gains, but on Coinbase associated with this wallet, they bought thousand in Bitcoin and then sold for five later on. It's something to think about. And if you're not honest, then IRS has cause to give you an an audit. Definitely good to be um, looking at tax considerations during the process. And on the other side, taking those tax losses, if you had a bunch when it was at 10 or 20,000, and now it's at six. So very much depends on if you're an active trader, your passive trader for your tax purposes, but certainly you can take those tax losses, passive losses, and have them eat away at the tax obligations of the passive gains. So at this time when everything's really crashing, it might be a good time to harvest your losses, as they say. Go through your portfolio and see if you can not do a wash sale, but go through and say, oh, this is highly correlated with this and I already have coverage on this, so I'm going to go ahead and close out this position. On the macro trend, there is a lot of activity surrounding stocks that are not gonna particularly do well. I'm thinking Royal Caribbean. I'm thinking stocks that rely upon the travel industry. If you're having a lot of guidance from the government and it's being doubled down and reiterated that don't travel and then on some sites that I'm on where I do like Airbnb type travel, a lot of people are canceling through November. Yeah, all these people, if you're highly leveraged and have 10 properties and you're not going to be able to get any revenue between March to November, you're relying upon the benevolence of the mortgage companies and banks to not foreclose and to give you a little bit of a leeway while they figure that out. I have heard discussions about instead of going to arrears, the bank's putting it on the back end, which would be extremely helpful for people that have overextended themselves. And already I'll say that, 
yeah, there's a lot of properties that are being thrown on the market because they were bought in 17 or even 18 and they've either done renovations or they don't think that the market's going to bounce back as quickly. So they throw it back on the market and try to recoup their losses or at least get back what they put in. So very interesting developments there. In terms of the crypto news specific to Ethereum, they have a bunch of work being done on Gitcoin, which partners with GitHub and it encourages people to follow and support people in the crypto community that do a lot of watchdog work, doing some work to the benefit of the community. And I like how Ethereum does special inroads and Vitalik Buterin actually gives, I think it was 90,000 of his own Ethereum to support small end developers that are doing as like a pet project and getting a lot of traction, like one inch with their DEX aggregator and doing a lot of good things in the ecosystem. I follow up. Chris Black and he does a lot of watchdog work and following a lot of these DAOs that are trying to push out their product and get things going with their own situation because they see a lot of the volume. They see that DeFi hit a billion, Ethereum dropped, so that took away a lot of the market cap. But I think it's still 600 million in terms of actual US dollars. So there's a lot of money there to be had and people recognize that people are, that are at the forefront of crypto are doing well and they're getting a lot of backing from these small seed crypto funds or people that recognize there's a huge disconnect between people doing something in their dorm room and someone like MakerDAO that has scaled or like Nuo that scaled in the DeFi space and are getting you know money from Sequoia and money from some of the biggest VC firms and lots of zeros. So it's kind of it's like there's a middle ground. And if things can be kept open source, like Vitalik talks about, then a lot of good can come of Ethereum and all the code will be open source on explorers, you know, using the solidity so people can go in and audit what they're actually interfacing with, um, you know, with pool together and all these bigger platforms that are being very transparent. And the transparency does give you a little bit of vulnerability in their terms that someone could reverse engineer exactly what you're doing. And then you're just really a marketing component behind that, like a brand behind that, because someone can literally do the exact thing that you do. And then it's really the value that you're bringing is the strength of your team and then the integrity that those teams bring in there. And then, yeah, the marketing that surrounds it. So there really is a lot of magic dust that has been evaporated. And I think that's good for the ecosystem. And I like that Vitalik likes to encourage that because all these pet projects really do advance the ecosystem. And that's really been the reason why Ethereum has taken a leadership role in DeFi whereas it could have been done just as easily with Tron or with some of the other ecosystems that give you a certain amount of energy in the case of Tron to do transactions for free. But Ethereum, you know, by and large keeps it relatively low, except for when I was getting a huge uh, price movement and can really jump up to a dollar, two dollars, even Chris Black said up to ten dollars to send, <laughs> send a little bit. Um, so that does happen if you want to get something in the next few blocks. And the nice thing about Ethereum, though, is the blocks hit so frequently that even if you don't pay very much, you can still reasonably expect to get going in the next half an hour, assuming there isn't a huge wave or increase in the GUI that is required for a particular transaction for MetaMask. Lots going on with DeFi, and it'll be exciting to take a look at what's going to happen there. And I'm looking forward to interviewing a few people in DeFi. I've already reached out, so we're having an interview next week. That'll be for one of the leaders of DeFi. And he'll talk a little bit about the ecosystem and how it really has changed in many ways and how it's morphed since 
I guess really even a few years ago when there's been very little activity on these uh, DeFi applications on a day-to-day basis. And now you have many, many that are having many thousands of daily, you know, 24-hour users of these platforms and generating enormous fees. And these are actual people that are have a fingerprint, are not in my eyes necessarily bots. And I looked at a lot of the addresses and there's a lot of activity that are going from there, a lot of human activity. So I do see a lot of people tweeting about it, using a lot of these dApps. So it's an exciting time for the space and to be moving forward with these types of applications and seeing DeFi and decentralized applications as a whole exploding into something much bigger, despite the fact that Ethereum got uh, really killed. If you're there for the price activity, it's definitely exciting because it goes one way or the other, but you should be there for the underlying technology because that's what's really driving the innovation. And that's what's making some projects rise to the top and others kind of flounder when some of the founders get discouraged with Bitcoin going down or discouraged with the crypto winter that's negatively impacting their ability to float their coins and advanced uh, whatever project they're trying to go. So the ones that are resilient and that have been there and they're making advances and have an active GitHub follow and other ones that are moving on to other things best to either short or not do anything with. Talk to you again on Monday. Stay safe. Pandemic peeps. You've been listening to the Altcoin Author Crypto Podcast. Thank you very much. And please remember to subscribe. Go to my website, altcoinauthor.com, where I have a lot of free content specific to crypto. Have a newsletter with Substack, altcoins.substack.com. Have an ebook with Amazon, Dapp Ubiquity, anticipating the avalanche of adoption. Please listen to the next one, allow it to stream or download the next one and uh, get updates to when I submit another podcast. So thanks again, guys. Talk to you soon.